Hey, this is horror artist Lynn Hansen, and I'm really excited to be guest of honor at Horror on Main. You're going to come too, right? We can all hang. See you there. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. There are plenty of horror cons to choose from. We explore all the shadows within horror entertainment, including writers and actors, but also artists, publishers, directors, and composers, and we're bringing them to you. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See horroronmain.com for details. Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, here with my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Today, we are talking to Nathan D. Ludwig. Say hello, Nathan. Hello. You are a man of many trades, so we'll go we'll go over all that, but they all, they all go around one thing, and that's horror. So what got you into horror? Well, you know, just like any other growing child you know desperate for you know content and and genre you know fulfillment um i just was captivated by horror there's something about especially watching movies before you're supposed to kind of you know sneaking them from your parents vhs in their bedroom and sneaking them back into my vhs you know at late at night and then watching it and rewinding it and putting it back in their room so i could get away with watching all the crazy stuff you know like predator and you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. And those are kind of my gateway drugs into horror films. And and I've been hooked ever since. So it started with movies. And then I started reading, you know, Lovecraft and Poe and really hooked on that. I was always been an avid reader. So, yeah, I mean, it's started pretty similar to a lot of other people, I think. But uh, it's become a lifelong obsession. Brandon, you usually have a good follow-up. Well, one of us has to. Um, I... I don't really have a question necessarily, just an observation. I just, I, I think it's so neat, I guess, the idea of kind of um, borrowing, for lack of better words, a VHS and trying to get it to the exact spot it was. I feel like that's an answer that's going to die away in the net, you know, as we start talking to younger and younger uh, horror aficionados. Um, but there's something very tangible tangible about that not just you know putting a dvd back or you know clearing the search history but of trying to get it to that exact the trying to wind the tape to the exact spot so nobody's going to know that you were in the middle of all that so my follow-up question is at what point did you stop being a well i guess we're always consumers but did you want to start being a creator well, I've always written short stories ever since I was little. I, I uh, love writing short fiction, um, and I, I've done it since I was probably about eight or nine. Um, it didn't really dawn on me that I was going to or I should or I could do it to submit it to other people to like get them to read it. I was just always content with writing it for myself. And, you know, writing fan fiction or just writing little short horror stories um, inspired by some of the films I watched. And it wasn't until I got out of high school and I was actually in the army for four years and I was in South Korea and I kind of really didn't have anything to do. And then I realized, I was, hey, you know, I could 
write screenplays. And that's where I really started writing things was, I was like, oh, you don't have to be in a club. You don't have to be in some secret club to write a screenplay. You can just write one and try and get it sold, you know? And that's kind of when it dawned on me to try to be a screenwriter. And that's where kind of where I started my writing career as it were. And um, yeah, over in South Korea watching, you know, on my weekends, it would be five, six, seven movies a weekend and just mainlining everything I could get my hands on. And then trying to apply that to a screenplay, kind of self-teaching myself how to write screenplays. And that's kind of where it all started for me. Did, um, <laughs> did you happen to see any Bong Joon-ho movies over there? That's my favorite. That's one of my favorite. Oh, yeah, he's great. Filmmakers. Um, I didn't see any Bong Joon-ho movies in the theater, but I did go see Old Boy when it was out in theaters in Korea originally. Uh, no English subtitles, but I still went and watched it, and I was blown away. I, was, I, was like, <laughs> I don't, don't blame you. If the movie's really good, you don't need subtitles. So it was uh, that was quite the experience, yes. I saw Parasite when it, right before, uh, it was February of 2020. It was right before everything went to hell uh, with mm-hmm. covid because uh, they reissued Parasite in my local theater for a week. And that was like, okay, so February 2020, my son my son was like only a few months old. My wife wasn't too pleased, but I'm like, you know what? This one feels like I got to see it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that 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 just, it was interesting because I heard like, is it hard? Is it this? You know, it doesn't matter. It's so fucking good. The storytelling is absolutely superb. Oh, and it, and it, my, my obsession with Korean films did start when I lived in there, lived in South Korea, I would go to the store and buy, you know, I had a region three DVD player. I bought a whole bunch of, of movies that I still have to this day. Um, anything that comes out South Korean, I, I watch it, drama, comedy, anything. I just love what they do. Like they make the best action revenge thrillers on the planet better than Hollywood. I think that's fair. Um, I, I'm pretty obsessed. I, I've talked about it enough episodes about the Korean War, but also like just in general, it's in in Asia. South Korea is one of the most thriving um, country countries in, in that um, in, in all of Asia, and it's also interesting because like North Korea is one of the most impoverished in the entire world. And um, you know what? It kind of makes me wonder if if they just one day unite what what else what other stories could you get there because it's a completely different world now you know well when i lived over there um there are some people that do want to reunite with north korea and there are people that are like that's never going to happen they're just going to try to invade us so it depends on who you talk to uh over there I, I remember we'd be driving from um from busan all the way up to seoul to go for our, our, you know, monthly meetings with headquarters. And there were these Katusas, they were Korean augmentees to the United States Army. So there would be, you know, young Korean boys that would be attaches for the American military instead of joining the, the Korean military. So they would tell us all the secrets about like the World War II and all this crazy stuff. And they would say, look up in those mountains when we're driving on the highway, those are all machine gun nests. That, that bridge is ready to detach at any time in case North Korea invades. It was wild to hear some of the stuff they would talk about. So um, yeah, that country is ready for war. So I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, they do have a defense plan in place. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy because when I started researching it, I, I never... I never knew that Japan um, ruled all of Korea up until World War II, the end of World War II, when they separated north from the uh, from the south. Um, yeah, they were pretty terrible to the Koreans, that's for sure. Um, there were there were a lot of American military buildings that used to be uh, Japanese buildings during World War II that they've taken over, and you know it'd be like the morale and welfare club, and they'd be and the Korean soldiers would be like, "Hey, down in that basement is where they used to torture." 
Koreans. The Japanese used to just torture and kill them in that basement. So it just then they would say it very casually. And I'm like, oh it's my so gosh. <laughs> like, okay, thanks for the for the information. Yeah, it's it's some crazy stories that I've heard. It's it's a pretty interesting breeding ground if you think about it. I mean, not even I can't even say that. I said I was about to say not even the wars, but you gotta think that like that's like like the uh I'm gonna fuck up his name, um Bong Jun Ho. Um yeah. Like his generation, he, he's probably too young for. He was definitely too young for that. But like his, he was the first generation right after Korea was um, its own country. So you got to think that a lot of those filmmakers probably have all those stories that pour into their work. Absolutely, yeah. I think Bong Joon Ho, or is it Kim Ji Woon? The guy who did I Saw the Devil, he did a really good one called Age of Shadows, hmm. which is all about like you know partisans and spies during World War one in world war two it's really good film just kind of like the almost like the french resistance but in korea really good stuff oh okay um one more thing about this and then brennan jump in but there's a there's there were quite a few um while the korean war was happening from 50, 1950 to 1953 there were there were um quite a few movies being made then and the first one was american made it's called steel pot it's really fucking good it starts out with this uh American, um, I believe it's a, he's in the army. Yeah, he's in the army and he is hobbling. His arms are bound and his little Korean boy finds him. So like cuts his bind, uh, his binds and they kind of hook up and go on this crazy adventure. But it's, it, it was filmed in 1950. It's so fucking good. It can hold up today. So I, I watched it on YouTube. I don't know where else to find it. If you got like an hour and a half to kill, definitely worth exploring that but oh, wow um, i have to check that out i would love to know your thoughts brennan um I'm, I'm kind of veering off track a little bit so why don't you reel us back in all right no i had nothing to add on all that so i was gonna let you two go as long as you <laughs> wanted to <laughs> so let's let's bring it back into writing a little bit um I uh, got a chance to read the comfy cozy nihilist and i absolutely loved it man um well, thank you i've I got a lot of questions about, you know, the way it's kind of written together, but my first one uh, kind of overlaps with that Twitter question we had, which I was able to pull up. So I'm, I'm going to kind of read this and throw my own thoughts on it. Uh, but Paul Gramatico wants to know what were some of the challenges you faced when you changed from screenwriting to prose? And do you have any interesting stories or anecdotes during this process? And I'm, I'll throw that to you in a second, but I loved the author notes in Comfy Cozy Nihilist and the insight as to how some of them started as screenplays and other ones, you know, came very, very close to being uh, actually adapted. So, yeah, I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about the difference between writing screenplays and prose. Sure. Um, yeah, I had written... I had written screenplays from, I'd say, about 2005, 2004, 2005, exclusively, all the way up to about 2015, 2016. So there's about a good 10-year chunk where I wasn't even working on prose. It was all, I was just obsessed with breaking into Hollywood and becoming a screenwriter. I had a little bit of success here, placed at some competitions, you know, get to go to some festivals and got close to getting a couple things optioned, but it's such a crapshoot with, with Hollywood screenwriting. I don't know if you know this, but it's, it's literally like trying to win the lottery. Sometimes you, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. And after a while, 
I had thought to myself, well, there's got to be something else to do. My writing is my strongest suit. You know, I've, I've directed some short films too, and I've never really been very happy with my directing abilities. I'm just always more confident as a writer. And what had happened was I had gone to Scares That Care in 2019, along with some friends, including Samantha Koyeznik, who's like, oh, we should go, just go and hang out. And I felt like such a dumb dumb. Yeah, I wrote about this in Love Potion, uh, Patrick, in the in the foreword. No, I made that I made that expression because I'm thinking like I went then too, but I didn't see you. But I don't know if we knew each other. Then. I didn't know anybody at the time. I was just like a deer in headlights. Or maybe all, I went all, the all these year writers. After. I went the year after probably. So I okay. just saw all these people just selling their books and these small presses. They're so friendly and so cool. I was like, you know what? I got to try this. I really have to do this. I, why didn't I think of this sooner? I could be doing both at the same time. So that's when I took one of my screenplays, which had done well on the on the competition front, uh, Love Potion 666. And I turned that into a, a book. And it took a little while because when you're doing nothing but writing screenplays, it's very easy to fall into that trap when you're writing prose. And to just be very spare with your with your with your prose or description and whatnot. So I had to go back on several drafts and I had to keep be beefing it up and keep and I sent it to my beta readers. They're like, this is good, but you really have to put more, it needs more description, it needs more flavor. And you know, the dialogue's great, but you gotta, you know, and that's my strength is dialogue. And and so when I'm trying to write really detailed scene descriptions, I can sometimes be like, I don't want to do this. I just want to just go bang, 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 bang. And when, when you've got someone reading your book, you need to add that flavor in there. So that was my struggle in, to begin with. And I think I've gotten better at it now that I've gotten away from adapting a screenplay into a, into a book. Now, the next thing I'm working on right now, manuscript, it's just from fresh. It's not from anything. So I feel more, actually feel more liberated to just write from scratch like that. That was, um, Definitely, I would say my favorite part about Love Potion Six 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 is the dialogue. It, it's it is very snappy at times, and um, when you kind of go back and forth, you're, it just feels right. It feels very natural. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah and, it's that that comes very easy for me. It's a lot of fun to just get. You know, I'll do dialogue exercises where I put two characters into a room, and I won't, might not even use it later, but I'll just have them talk to each other back and forth to get the feel of the characters. So that's a lot of fun to do. Where you went with that particular book, I just, uh, you know, you read a lot. I'm sure you do too now, man. You read a lot of, a lot of different types of horror. Well, some people don't, but a lot of us read a lot of different type of horror. And <laughs> with what you wrote in Love Potion 666, I just kind of, it didn't dawn on me until right now when we're talking about this, man. You wrote a really fucking crazy ride uh, of a book that you threw in the things that I, I don't want to spoil anything. So I'll just say, like, I didn't expect a lot of the things to jump out that jumped out. Um, that That's all. I always get a little weary about what I should say and not say about certain sure, books because sure. it's, it's a newer book. But, yeah, it was it was it was a wild ride. <laughs> It's totally like right out of the nineties. Like it feels like, I think feels like a nineties crime action film. If you like stuff like true romance and natural born oh, killers and yeah. wild at heart and from dust till dawn and serpent in the rainbow, which is an eighties film, but it's the voodoo zombies and all that, that kind of just the, that nineties genre crime film way. The gun is another one. Like that's the kind of spirit that I wanted to recapture with that book. So it's very wild. It's very mean spirited. It's not for everybody. <laughs> the characters aren't very uh, relatable as far as sympathy wise, but yeah, you st I still managed to put a little bit of sympathy in there here and there, even though they're doing terrible things. You're like, Oh, I hope they hope they survive. <laughs> 
<laughs> at yeah. least one character, hopefully. Um, I could definitely see Trent Reznor or like uh, the band Filter doing the soundtrack for, for that book. That's great. Brennan, uh, yeah, it looked like you had something to say. Yeah, no, I actually wanted to piggyback off the dialogue thing. Um, that's definitely something you're very strong at. And I, I think there's probably a certain expectation that, you know, with a screenwriting background, uh, the dialogue writing is going to be strong. But another element that really jumped out to me is the humor, um, the the dark humor. And if you'll forgive me, the snark. Um, and <laughs> I was, I was kind of curious because um, I, you know, I love writing stuff like that and I'll a lot of times write it, just let it flow in the first draft and then kind of revisit it and have to say, okay, you need to take it back a notch. This is obnoxious. And I wonder if you kind of find, do you, you know, let it flow and that's what ends up in the final version or do you snap it back or do you add to it? I tend to overwrite the hell out of everything. Um, whether it's a screenplay or a story, you know, every time there's a call for a story for an anthology, I'm like, all right, I got this. And it's like 4,000 words. And it turns out to be like 8,000 words. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to cut that down that much. It's just not going to happen. So I, I hardly ever submit to anthologies because I'm always like overwriting everything. I just ends up in my collection. There's a lot of stories in that collection that were going to be for anthologies that I just, I was like, ah, this stuff is too good. And and you can cut it down to a certain extent, but like half in half, I just, I just couldn't see being able to do that. Um, and yeah, this book, the comfy cozy analysis was a lot darker and I was reading it through it and I was like, no, one's going to want to read this. <laughs> so I kind of lightened it up and, and enlightened means like, that's a very loose term because it's still a pretty dark book. But I was like, I didn't want to be so pessimistic and hateful that people are going to be like, what's, what's, what's this guy's problem. Part of it is a gimmick. Obviously it's part of the theme of the book. It's not, I don't believe every single thing in that book, obviously just like any kind of, you know, the narrator's not exactly the author, but yeah, I definitely like kind of brought it back just a little bit in a couple of the stories because I was like, you know, that's not me all the way. So I kind of wanted to make it just a little bit more darkly funny than like too oppressively dark. So uh, yeah, definitely. I think the cover art is a good reflection of that exact theme you just went over to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, could you, could you tell us a little bit about kind of how that came to life? Sure. Um, we had a, uh, myself, Waylon Jordan, who runs off limits press and he's also an author and Samantha Koyesnik. We started a, like a WhatsApp kind of like readers group, um, a writers group, feedback group. And we're like, Oh, Hey, let's all put out a collection. And uh, Samantha still has yet to put out her collection. I have to get her on, get on her for that. But Waylon and I both put one out, and in the in the meantime, we we're we we're feedbacking each other's stories and seeing what what should go here and there. And I realized I don't have an idea for a cover, and I, I don't know a ton of people, and I don't want to be one of those people to just kind of just feel out someone and then not like the the final product of the cover because I haven't worked with them before. So one of my filmmaker friends that I know through the genre blast film festival recommended this guy named Joey Souza. And he, and what I like to do, and, and look, I love cover artists. I think Don Noble's great. I think AA Medina's great people that I've worked with before. Um, but I, sometimes I like to go a little bit outside the box and use someone who doesn't, who's a great artist, but doesn't usually work in that specific format so I'm, if i'm looking to do like a movie poster or a festival poster i'll go for someone who does more like book covers or something like that and if i want like a book cover i'll talk to someone like joey souza who does mostly like album covers and t-shirts and stuff like that and he's got this really broad funny gross 
artistic style that just feels like kind of liquid TV or like adult swim kind of craziness. A lot of people said happy tree friends when they see the cover. Um, and I approached him and I said, yeah. would you like to, you know, I, I'm looking for a book cover just, and I told him, I said, I'm looking for something that's like, like really cute animals doing something like ritualistic suicide or something, or they're murdering something or just, just, I just want something that they look cute doing something really awful for the cover. So it's kind of a clash between the, the comedy and the darkness. And he came back with that. I did not give him a ton of direction. And I saw the, the, the first draft of the cover. And I said, this is going to be so cool. Um, <laughs> and I love that cover so much. I would have paid him three times more than what I paid for it because it's so good. That's what everybody says. It's like, oh my God, that cover. I have to read that book. And uh, so that's, it's been a great, it's been a great boon for me. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Um, just the way that a good cover can kind of bring readers in. And, you know, like I said, I really do feel strongly that it's such a good reflection of what you're going to find inside. It's not like, Hey, this is a brilliant cover, but Ooh, between the pages. No, it's like, it's a, it's a nice little match made in, I don't know if heaven's the right term there, but <laughs> you can say hell. Heck. Um, <laughs> so, all right. I, I, I want to hear you talk about something that you touch on a little bit in both the collection and in some of the story notes. I would like you to expand on your fear of doppelgangers. <laughs> um, and I'd also love to hear you talk a little bit about some examples in media, whether it's books or movies that have really, really done it well. Okay, here we go. So, you know, and I, I think I touched on this in, in the book too. Like there's a lot of things that people are scared of that I just go, okay, I get it for you, but that doesn't just doesn't scare me. Like clowns, sharks, doppelgangers, I mean, they're not doppelgangers, um, dolls. Like, yeah, I can see that if it's done well in a movie, but it just don't scare me. Like, I just don't get it. There's something about doppelgangers and I still don't know. Maybe I need to go see like a, like a therapist that they can explain it to me, but there is something about the fact that there is like, like not just like an evil twin that shows up and destroys your life. I'm talking about like an actual doppelganger that you don't know where it's come from. And if you see it, it signals your, de your death or your doom. Like that stuff is really creepy to me. Like that very, like that J horror style kind of nightmare fuel, dream logic horror is the stuff that i love to watch um mm. and i love to read about um and if you ever watch you ever get a chance to watch a movie by kiyoshi kurosawa um it's a movie called seance and and this is the same guy who directed pulse the original version of pulse um he's directed retribution uh cure which just came out on criterion release just really good horror thriller director seance is has one of the creepiest, probably the creepiest depiction of a doppelganger and also of ghosts I've ever seen in a movie. And it's a very underrated film. Uh, just just that. And um, I thought Enemy was really good with Jake Gyllenhaal, if you've ever seen that one, about him, about a guy who just encounters his doppelganger one day. And it's so weird and creepy and dream logic-like, uh, like Lynchian almost. Uh, just something about it, with knowing that there's something out there and it's coming for you or it knows it knows where you are and you can't escape it. That stuff is really creepy to me. And I just, it sends chills up my spine and I love watching horror films and reading books about that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those, it's one of those latent things that when, when you see it, you just know that that scares you more than anything else. You know, what are some of your fears? Us to, is, you know? uh, real quick. Us probably would be one of the latest uh, doppelganger movies. For horror, uh, Jordan Peele, us. 
Oh yeah, us. Yeah, that's mm. a really good one too. What's your fears, Brennan? I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> you made a sturdier <laughs> you know, stuff then. I no, I you know what? It's 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 one of those questions that you can't help but think about in this genre, especially because we're asking that of people. You know, I always say that when we ask somebody what got you into horror, it's just a roundabout way of saying what are you afraid of? Um mm-hmm. Because a lot of times it's, you know, I'm always amazed at how many people got into horror as a way to just kind of like, they they hated it. They were uh, kind of like almost held back by it. And they just kind of dove in head first as a way to conquer, you know, what was paralyzing them, really. Uh, I have to steal one from my friend Tyler Jones that I think is the ultimate. And that's time. Just that you're not going to have enough time with the people you love, that you're not going to have enough time to write all the stories that are circling around in your head, to read all the books that are taken up your shelf, to do all the things that you want to do. Um, and just the way that that kind of fear of time getting away from you can be almost a way to drain more time because you're spending you know, your life thinking about it. Uh, Patrick, go ahead. How about you? Is it dolls? <laughs> mine's not as phys- philosophical as yours. Mine's uh, <laughs> mine's great white. You can't kill like that because um, I don't know, man. I just I am a pussy in the at the beach. I am terrified of being one of those stories. Um, for example, a beach that we go to, like the ch- um, oh my god, Brennan, help me out, Chatham. That's Chatham and mm. Cape Cod. I mean, it is literally on Shark Week, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um. I remember this one time I got pulled out in an undertow. I was 12 and in this town called Hull, uh, close enough to hell, uh, just one letter <laughs> off. And I, I was pulled out so far from a little sister that everyone looked like ants. And I just kept thinking, uh, I'm going to go out like Jaws. Cause I don't even know how young I was when I saw Jaws, but my movie sharks, but also watching, seeing my kid just, killed by a car just i I write about that shit all the time so time's a good one though (laughs) yeah time and uh isolation is another big thing with me um identity like you know i get into i've I've had conversations with people about what about when you go under for surgery and then you wake up again are you still the same person like is that still your same consciousness how do you know or just like with doppelgangers how do you know which doppelganger is you or maybe you're the doppelganger that stuff keeps me up at night so just uh mortality also you know i've got two kids and they're still young so mm-hmm. i'm like i'm hoping that i live long enough so they have salt form solid memories of me because that's out to me that's one of the worst things ever is well, to have kids sucks. and then you die and then they don't remember you memories are very important like that's how you live on so all that stuff scares me freaks me out yeah that's terrifying Right, I don't know how to go from. <laughs> I, I want to throw one more thing before we uh, move away from the collection. But there was there was there was a story in there that I really you know I got like halfway through and I said this is it's fucking brilliant. It's just a, such a great commentary. Um, and that is me the jury. And oh. I wonder if you would uh, talk a little bit about that story, sell it a little bit. Sure, me the jury. That started as there's this screenplay competition. Uh, called the New York City Midnight Screenplay Challenge. And they do, every year they have a bunch of different challenges. One of them is a short screenplay. And if you enter into it, you have, they give you criteria. They give you like a setting, they give you a genre, and they give you um, 
like a like a plot device or something and just based on that you have to write a five page screenplay and then you're judged on that and then you move on to the next round and whatnot for one of the competitions this was an idea that i came up with it was like a menu science fiction dystopian and i forget what else like a jury or something like that and i just went with that i said what what, what could i do with this and i was just thinking like paul verhoven kind of dystopian sci-fi satirical stuff where it's really not that unbelievable that something like this could happen i don't think um where the jury deliberates and instead of deliberating for a week over a murder trial you're given a menu and you're the jury is whittled down to nothing based on the violent you know uh psychological you know mind effery uh what's going on in this menu and the last juror left i mean i don't want to spoil it too much for anyone who hasn't read it but it's just like this the violence that has been brewing in our society the 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 ill will towards each other is just is just unleashed in this in this jury room and everybody's social mores and peccadilloes and and ticks and and all this stuff that were pitted against each other is just it just is just goes goes haywire and uh, it's not really a commentary on anyone specific i'm not wagging my finger at anyone i'm just kind of looking at where we are as a society and going this is not good like this is not good it can't end well and it doesn't end well so i i, I just don't know it's just it's just one of those things where it was in my head i was annoyed about something i mean mick wickerson's awfully big day is another one where i was just like the uh, i'm just like i get annoyed when i sit down to write about everything that's going on in the world or social media or whatever necessary evil and all that but then I just sit down and I write and it's just, I'm like, ah, is this too dark? Is this too, is this too like, is this too pessimistic? And I'm like, you know what? Just embrace it and just write it. There are people that will pick up on it and enjoy it. And that's where kind of those stories come from. It's just this, just me just being an annoyed. Now I'm getting old. I'm 43. I'm getting, you know, grumpy old man <laughs> syndrome kind of thing where you're just yelling at clouds. But I think it comes <laughs> from a place of genuine concern that I think a lot of people can appreciate and relate to. So that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, absolutely. And like, kind of the uh, almost implied like morality contest, you know, like, mm -hmm. one of the aspects that kind of struck me is um, almost, like, judging somebody based on, you know, something that they might have said out of context, like 15 years ago. And that, you know, it, it that gets me like, you know, sweating cold because I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, like the, the the things I said in high school and I don't consider myself a hateful person. But man, like we you definitely talk to your friends differently in the like in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And, you know, yes. to mm -hmm. think that that innocent banter that now we know is not quite as innocent, but to to think that that forms the basis of somebody's entire personality and that we should, you know, crucify them 20 years later for it is just it's wild and it's like you said it's just not that far from the norm it's not out that far outside the realm of possibility and you know that's it's the i think i put this in my notes too it's an overcorrection is what it is it's mm -hmm. it comes from a good place it comes from a, a well-meaning place a lot of the times but it's so overcorrected that it you cause more damage than what was originally there as far as you know, socially, you know, what's, what, what's responsible, you know, how, how, how do you want this person to atone for whatever they said? And it ends up causing much more collateral damage in the present than it ever did in the past sometimes. 
And I'm not talking about scumbags who deserve to get what they want. I'm just talking about mm. just regular people that get caught up in the crossfire of something they said 10 years ago. And it, I don't think anyone has a plan for, for how you approach that. And that's part of the problem too. Mm. I want to talk about in here with us. It's a short story, so we don't have to like go into heavy detail, but what it did remind me of, was uh, Clive Barker's The Yattering and Jack. Um, for those that haven't read that, it's in the Books of Blood. <laughs> it's just, it's it's talking about, uh, you know, wait, if I say that, it's going to spoil it. Do you want me to just not say what it's about? <laughs> I mean, you can, yeah, you can if you want to. You don't have to give away the whole story, though, but just, just kind of the premise. It's dark comedy. Tar, it's talking about demon possession. Um, and it's kind of given demons uh humanistic uh personality traits. And, and Brennan touched on it earlier, and you really do horror and comedy really, really well. Um and I was raised Catholic, so that shit was just <laughs> cracking me up. Man. I get a lot of that from people that have messaged me, you know, I was raised Catholic. That was like my favorite story because it's so funny and it's not, I, I was raised Catholic too. It's a nice little catharsis to be able to read about that and you go, yeah, I've thought about that. Or that reminds me of so-and-so and stuff and that Catholic guilt that is absolutely there, whether you're still Catholic or not, where you're just like, is it okay to laugh at this or is it not okay to laugh? Right. At this? But, um, yeah, that definitely, that's where that came from. Absolutely. It was going to Sunday school and going to church every Sunday, going to summer camp, Catholic summer camp. And I, I did all that stuff. <laughs> and the commentary on, and, uh, you know, for just just in case we have one person that says not all, well, a lot of you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the guys that work for the church have touched kids, and, and I thought that was funny. You go into this little weird fucking creepy booth, and you just like ask this creep to or potential creep to forgive you, and they're doing like the worst thing in the world you can do. So it's just. A lot of people, and this is my personal take, a lot of people use uh, religion as like a shield to just do whatever the fuck they want and then just go to church on Sunday and be like, I'm so sorry. Not really, but I'm forgiven <laughs> yeah. for the week. <laughs> the, uh, the loophole that is, you know, the Catholic Church. You know, there's always, I mean, you know, religion is religion. I'm not going to begrudge anyone their religion, you know. But yeah, there are definitely a lot of people that use it as as a loophole to do terrible things absolutely. oh yeah and then hide behind that whole morality thing that's it's terrible it really is yeah it's definitely I, I, it's it's every religion it's because we're people like you said so um brennan unless you got anything else for this i would love to talk to him about genre blast film fest let's go all right man so just talk about how you and got that's a big ordeal to do to start your own convention uh, yeah film festival sorry film yeah. festival uh, it, same idea um yeah genre blast is has been well, this is our eighth year now so yeah like you said it is a lot of work um it's a lot of it's a huge undertaking it's a year-round undertaking um i gotta watch some films after i get off here so like it's always it's always going on but i love it i mean i love film and cinema so much um it, it's part of my dna now and um, my buddy, Chad Farmer, who actually just had his first book come out, Devil Won't Let Me Be. It's an extreme horror book about werewolves and all kinds of splatterpunk stuff that just came out this weekend. Um, I met him in film school at Full Sail University in Orlando in like 2008. And we've been best friends since. And um, 
we made this feature film in the wilds of Oregon with a producer that is no longer friends with us. Um, we went over budget and it turned out to be a terrible debacle that we'll never speak of or see the light of day again. Oh, um, right out of film school, we thought we knew everything. It just, we completely just, you know, blew it. And after that, we were like back to the drawing board. What do we do? So we made a handful of short films. We co-directed and co-wrote a, a handful of short films, four or five short films, got some you know, awards, hit the festival circuit. We felt a little bit better about ourselves. And we had our screen plays there too. And going to all these different festivals, I tell you, it's an adventure. You'll go to some really cool festivals that are, that are just so well put together. And you're on the red carpet and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And you go to some other festivals that are... There's like two people there and it's in a hotel in like, you know, in, you know, bum F Texas or wherever. And there's nobody there. You don't see the festival director. You're like, am I supposed to even be here? What's going on? <laughs> so, and it's really sad. And you find like the other two people are also filmmakers and there's nobody there to actually see the movie. So you just guys just drink and then you're just like, why are we waste all this money coming here? Um, so we've run the gamut, you know, of festivals. And after a while, about 2015, we were like, you know what, what's stopping us from running our own festival? We know exactly what we like. We know what we, I mean, we've been to Fantastic Fest. We've been to the Nashville Film Festival. We've been to all over. Like we know what we like. We have the certain kind of taste in films. We love these genre films. If we were to run a festival, I think we'd do a good job. So uh, there was this, uh, there's a small town in Culpeper that my family kind of lives in and around. And they had a state theater that was being renovated. And it was, you know, from the 1930s when Gone with the Wind was playing, they played Gone with the Wind there. Oh, so shit. it had fallen into disarray. And then the town council had come up with some money to refurbish it and turn it into a state-of-the-art theater. And we we're like, oh, hey, you know, let's walk right in there and ask if we can have a film festival. And lo and behold, we, you know, a little bit of finagling and we got in there. And our first year, I was at the State Theater in Culpeper, and we did amazing. People were like, oh, my God, like, how long is this festival running? Was it under a different name? Like, this this is not a first-year festival. This You got to be kidding. We, we, and we were stunned. We were not <laughs> expecting that. We just look at each other and go, I, I get. Because we were just doing things the way they were supposed to be done. We we had our A-game, a, a game face on, whatever you want to call it. We were organized. We had all our logistics down, and we were ready to do it. Whereas I think some of these festivals, they just take your submission money and they just throw it into like a hotel ballroom screening room with a, with a crappy projector and a screen and they call it a film festival. And that's not a film festival. I'm sorry if I have offended anyone that does one of those festivals. It just, it's not. So we did it the right way. And people are just like the, I don't, I don't know how it is with a lot of, I mean, cause I don't know that there's really not an equivalent in the writing world of like a film festival, I guess, you know, like, like a convention or a signing or whatever, but there's so many filmmakers that are quote unquote abused by going to all these festivals and they think that this is how a festival is run. And then they go to a really good festival and they go, Oh my God, like this is how a festival is supposed to be run. I've been going to all these terrible festivals and we were just so excited. And then as soon as the festival was over, that 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 theater shut down due to mismanaged funds we were literally the last thing in and out of that 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 theater the next like on that monday they were like the, the, the theater shutting down oh so we God. go well what do we do <laughs> we don't have a yeah. venue now for next year we got all these rave reviews and we have no place to go luckily about two hours away in winchester virginia which is very close to like dc it's like in that hump of virginia in between West Virginia and DC, mm -hmm. there's an Alamo Draft House Cinema, and I don't know if you guys know about the Alamo Draft House, but it's like literally the greatest theater chain on the planet. It's they 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 have a great curation. They love genre films. They play all kinds of cool stuff, and you can eat and drink at the t at your seat, and it's a full nice. menu. 
booze. They have a bar in the lobby. I mean, it's the perfect setup for a film festival. Luckily, after a couple of meetings, they agreed because they had some bad experiences with with scammy festivals before with mm-hmm. bad festivals where nobody showed up. And as they said, as long as you can bring people in, then we'll we'll have you. And it was a success. And we've been at the Alamo Winchester ever since. And we play all the good stuff. We play action, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, adventure, martial arts, gangster movies, all the fun stuff that you want to watch. That's what we play. And we get movies from around the world. It's every Labor Day weekend at the Alamo Winchester. So it's a Thursday through a Monday because everybody has that Monday off. Mm. So that's our that's their travel day to go home. So everybody comes for Thursday through Sunday and they go home on Monday. So it's like a destination festival for a lot of people, for the filmmakers and for the film goers. And we built up a community in Winchester that look forward to it every year, pull in a really great crowd. We even ran during COVID. Luckily, the um, Alamo Draft Host opened up just in time for our festival in 2020 we were very worried that what do we do do we go virtual do we do this or that but they were they opened up and we did have a smaller festival in person and online um but we haven't we haven't closed down once since we started so we've been going continuously wow. for eight years everybody has kind of come to expect it which is why why i can't be like hey you know i don't feel like doing it anymore because people will literally try to kill me so um it's a great chance it's a great time it's a great chance uh to have a good time and hang out and network with people we have a lot of writers that have submitted that have played i know uh, we played the naughty list uh, from brian Keane. Mm. um uh, Brian Asman had a had a short at our festival last year. Nate Southern has had a couple shorts. Um, so a lot of writers in the writing world uh, have have become part of Genre Blast. So I think if you're listening and you're a writer or a filmmaker and you haven't been to Genre Blast, you want to come in and check it out. I think you're going to have a great time. It's going to be one of the best things you've ever done. One of the best decisions you've ever made. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, two years ago when I was a judge, whenever it was, I was blown away with the films they were from the sci-fi to this i remember this one that um was also a horror and a comedy another one that dealt with uh, a father looking for his wife who was uh, hooked on drugs in philadelphia and i was like holy shit this is shot like a scorsese film mm-hmm. it, it's incredible what an average joe can do obviously there's a lot of work to it but like you don't need the type of stuff, uh, the the type of money, I guess you needed back even in the early aughts. Because I, I tried, like I was super underground uh, for a film making in right after high, straight out mm-hmm. of high school, and uh, I was looking into renting a lot of equipment. Luckily, I I ran into uh, my godfather's uh, friend, and he kind of helped. But my God, it's changed so much. It really has the quality of it. Our short film blocks are out of this world. There are so many good films that we can't play just because we just don't have the room for them. The competition is super fierce. It's ridiculous. We could program another entire three or four days with the stuff that doesn't oh, make that, that just missed it by just this much. Wow. It's crazy. So, uh, yeah. Everybody's so, like, oh my God, those shorts. It's because we don't just play horror. And I love horror. And I go to a lot of horror film festivals, a ton of horror film festivals that are really good, mm. but they're not playing the sci fi stuff. They're not playing the action stuff. They're not playing the weird offbeat stuff that you don't see anywhere else. We play all that stuff. So it's like a mixtape of all genres. So if in a shorts block, you'll get a horror film, an action film, a sci fi film, a weird, bizarre film, all in one block. And it just people are blown away by like, Oh my God, I wasn't expecting it to be that good. I just wanted to watch all horror movies, but then you get exposed to a whole bunch of different stuff that you might not necessarily normally be exposed to. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love horror too, but I mean, I, I don't want only horror. That, that's not fun. Uh, one of my favorite movies, Chappie, it's sci-fi, but it's just... Uh, have you guys seen that movie, Chappie? Oh, yeah, I've seen Chappie. Yeah, yeah. Man, that, that is such a touching... I, I saw that in theaters with my wife when it came out. That, that stuff, <laughs> I, was, I was tearing up at the end. It's so... it's. I just would never expect a movie like that that seems silly to just hit you and punch you in the heart. Uh, my point is, is like, you never know, like you said, Nathan, um, you never know what you're going to really like until you see it. How can you know you if, if you don't try it out? So yeah, there's a ton of movies where my buddies would be like, hey, you got to watch this. And I'm like, I don't want to watch that. And then you end up watching it and it's like, oh, my God, well, how can I how could I live my life without loving this movie now that I've, I've seen it? <laughs> so, you know, like everything, everywhere, all at once. That's that's a movie. I saw that when it came out in theaters. That's a movie I knew I was going to like, but I was like, it's two and a half hours. I don't have time, you know, I just, I'm just not going to get around to seeing it. And I, and I knew I was going to love it and I got around to seeing it and I loved it. And that's how it is with a lot of movies. I can tell usually ahead of time, whether I'm going to like a movie or not, because I've seen mm. so many now and I, you know, I judge for the festival and stuff. I can, if I get a submission and I can usually tell whether this is going to be good or not. Yeah. So, um, that's that's always like a struggle with me is to actually just get around to watching. It's like, oh, finally going out to go to the gym. Once you're at the gym, it feels great, but you got to motivate yourself to go. There's so many good movies that I still have yet to watch and I know I'm going to love them, but I just have to get around to watching them. I'm just, you know, how it is. You got kids and you got a job, you got your wife, you got all this other stuff. It just sometimes there's just no time to do anything you want to do. Yeah. Um, Brent, I have one more question about this and then jump in, but how if <laughs> this might not even be possible, but if you were to like round it up or down or whatever, how much time, how much, how many hours do you think that you pour into, to just watch and film to see what may make it or what may not per oh, year? God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oof. Well, we get about a thousand submissions a year. Um, so I would say we usually get about 100 to 150 feature films and oh six to 800 short films. Um, and we try to watch everything. Um, but we also, we have judges and we have volunteers that, that helped help us tackle it or else we wouldn't be able to run it. But Chad and I take it very personally as far as like, we feel like this festival is an extension of our taste and our personalities. So we personally do try to watch as much stuff as we can. Do we get to everything? No, that's what the judges and, and the volunteers are for. They help us out and they know what we like and they can kind of forward, Hey, this was good. We know you guys will like this or yeah, it's not worth your time. You know, it was just not, didn't work for us to, or for the festival. So that's kind of how we do it. I, I would say, yeah, I watch about a hundred feature films a year just for genre blast and probably four to 500 shorts a year. So that's, that's a lot. And that takes out of my, my fun movie watching time because after I'm done programming the festival, I, I don't watch, I don't watch any movie. I just like play video games. That's like <laughs> no interest in watching movies until like later on in the year, like award season. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now you, you said that you, you were successful right off the bat because you kind of learned from the, Oh, I hate to call them lesser festivals, but I'm going to. Um, and you did things right. So, and not only that, but the festival kind of grew organically from there. So if there was somebody with all these quality submissions out there, somebody who wanted to kind of start their own film festival, what would be some of the top things that they need to keep in mind in order to 
kind of have that initial success uh, to run a festival you mean yeah 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 um you have to love it you don't want to be in it to make money obviously the goal one of the goals is to eventually become profitable but don't don't hang your hat on that completely if you're just oh you know i see all these festivals getting all these submissions and i can make some money that's the wrong answer that that money that we earn through festival submissions and sponsorships and stuff that we put that back into running the festival and making it the best quality festival possible you know we pick people up from the airport the airport's about an hour away we have a shuttle that goes and picks people up from the airport brings them back to the hotel which is right next door to the alamo draft house you know we have a pretty sweet setup um if you're looking at, if you're looking to start a festival my one of my f- big pieces of advice would be you have to actually make the filmmakers feel like you care and you love film and you love what they do you have to know the filmmakers and the screenwriters by name you have to know their project when you meet them that's part of it that's one of the things that we get complimented for all the time i know every single person that arrives at the festival before they even say hello, I will shout their name out as soon as they walk through the door. And that you see the smile on their face That's because cool. they're like, we feel welcome here. It's not just, here's your pass. There's the theater go, you know, F off. It's, we are there. I want to hang out with the, with the filmmakers. Like I, I almost feel weird sometimes. Like I'm being too overbearing because I want to party with the filmmakers. I want to have a drink with you. I want to, you know, talk movies with you. What's, what's your next project. I'm it's almost like a summer camp reunion for the people that come back and for the people that haven't been before and they show up, they're like, okay, I get it now. Like I get it. Why everybody's always talking about John or blast because this is cool. And, and so you just really have to want to care about your filmmakers, know them by name, care about the films program stuff that you actually want to play not just your cousin's film that that no one's going to want to watch <laughs> program stuff that you have to think about what you like but also think about are people going to enjoy this film are people mm-hmm. going to sit through this film and so sometimes you might not think personally that it's the best film in the world but you know that your audience is going to enjoy the heck out of it and that's what counts mm-hmm. so it's programming a great group of films and caring about the filmmakers and making it visible. <laughs> so, yeah, I love the, the idea of the summer camp vibe coming back every year. Um, just even just down to cultivating the right atmosphere that people can tell from every aspect that this it's, it's the, that it's the real deal that the, organizers are in it for the right and you know you you said that there are like some scammy ones out there that do take those submission fees and they go into the pocket rather than back into the process and it seems like people can probably suss that out pretty quickly and you're gonna (laughs) you're gonna if you avoid being that scammy person you know you're going to find that you're going to cultivate that right atmosphere nathan i want to ask you about uh adapting worst laid plans Tell us a little bit about that. So Worst Laid Plans, for those who don't know, is an anthology book from Grindhouse Press, which is like one of my favorite presses. Those uh, folks are amazing. Um, Samantha Koyesnik, who put out True Crime and eventually Waif through Grindhouse Press, uh, she approached uh, C.V. Hunt and Anderson Prunty and asked them, can I curate this anthology of vacation horror? Gave her the go-ahead. She started curating all these amazing short stories. Final product is so good. It's one of the best anthologies I've ever read. There's um, so many weird eclectic stories in that book. 
she wanted to make it into a movie. She approached me because I run John or blast and I've had experience with making films. She goes, Hey, do you want to produce this with me as a feature film? And, you know, I thought about it. I was like, you know, this is going to be a lot of work, like being a producer. It, but, you know, I, I always like to uh, take a challenge head on. And it was my first time producing a feature film. So we approached a bunch of directors to adapt uh, some of the stories that we thought were cost effective, that were budget friendly, because there's some stories in there that are not budget friendly, that are really good stories, but we just couldn't, we just didn't have the money for it. Um, so we optioned about five stories, only three of them made the final cut. We had some issues with the other two directors. I don't want to get into that publicly. Um, but uh, the final ones we picked were Deep in the Heart, uh, written by uh, Waylon Jordan, W. Dale Jordan. Um, uh, Taylor Family Vacation 93 by Jeremy Herbert. And um, You've Been Saved by Essie Howard. And we picked uh, John Hale, Christopher G. Moore, and Jeremy Herbert himself to adapt his own story, you know, because, uh, you know, shocker. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we, we had some really great short film directors who have won awards and played in all kinds of awesome festivals to direct these uh, adaptations. We ended, they ended up shooting them in three different States, you know, one in Florida, one in uh, North Carolina, one in West Virginia, kind of all going on at the same time during the summer and the fall of 2021, uh, th which means three different locations, three different sets of crews and cast, three different insurance policies, three different sets of paperwork. And it was, uh, yeah, that was probably my most stressful year altogether while running the festival at the same time as, producing a feature film and also trying to get love potion 666 finished. Um, it, shit. It, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> plus plus, plus like all that normal stuff that you yeah, have yeah, to yeah. do every day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a learning experience for sure. We were, I was on the phone with Samantha a lot going, ah, I don't know about this. <laughs> like, what do we do? She's like, we can't quit. And I was like, well, okay, you can't quit either. So we kind of were just like, you know, just psyching each other up uh, through the whole thing. And it was good to have a, an outlet, like a lifeline to, to, we could talk back to each other instead of like messaging the director and going, I don't feel like doing anything today. So you just do whatever you want to do. <laughs> um, it was, it was definitely an experience. It was a lot of work, but I would do it again. I don't know if I would necessarily do it as an anthology. I would like to be a producer for one director this time. I think that would be a great experience. So there's a couple things we're always looking to adapt you know, this is such an untapped market for the the indie genre press market. Um, there's so many good, you guys know, there's so many good novellas. There's so many good short stories that can be adapted into film and done for for a good budget too. Our, our Indiegogo campaign, we raised about $50,000. And a lot of it was goodwill from the writing community, but also goodwill from the genre blast and the film festival community where everybody saw what we were doing. They're like, hey, these are all good people. Let's go ahead and donate. So that's that was a huge advantage for us. Absolutely. Overall, very exciting experience. We're in film festivals now. I've been to about two film festivals for the film and did like Q&As for them and stuff. So very exciting. It's going to be at Scares the Care, uh, AuthorCon. Uh, there, there'll be a screening of it there. I'll have Blu-rays for sale if anybody wants one. So yeah, very cool. That's awesome. Man. That's good. Um, Eric LaRock is... Uh... Things have gotten worse since we last spoke would definitely be I can't see that being like uh, a budget issue because most of that's just um, conversation. Oh, I'm yeah. sure his stuff is going to get adapted into a film or a TV show pretty soon. I, I have no doubt about it's that. probably going to be super fucked up and I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Gretchen Felker, Mar Felker Martin's Manhunt, if that's ever adapted, uh, that's probably going to get an X rated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got that on my shelf. I have yet to read it, but I'm looking forward to checking it out. I got and so many books, as you can see, that I need to dig into soon. 
I, I just remember I don't review many many books now. Um I I just you know it's a time thing and I don't think I'm very good at it to be honest. But um I just remember when I wrote that a review for that I was basically saying it's a fever dream meets uh 28 days later. <laughs> it's it's just yeah. bonkers. That's what I've heard. Yeah, that's awesome. So Brian, I don't want to cut you off. I have a I have a, a question. No, go right ahead. With film, with writing, prose, I know that they have a lot of um, similar pieces of advice that uh, seasoned veterans give to newer people in that field. And I, I want to hear your opinion because you kind of touched on it on the afterword for um, Love Potion, but um, that is don't start off with you know a novel. Don't start off with George R. R. Martin said something similar. He goes. Um, I got people at conventions coming up to me telling me that they start writing like epic fantasy series. And that's the first thing that they write. He said, you got to start with shorts. Shorts you got to work stories. up to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So do you have anything that you want to touch on? Because you never know who's listening, when they will listen to this. And if they're super duper new or kind of just maybe uh, needing some advice. Sure. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, I've only put out two books, so I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an, I'm so, I'm still learning so much about prose fiction writing uh, every day. I'm just trying to be like a sponge as much as possible. But so say, for the film, think about the, there might be filmmakers listening too. Oh, filmmakers. Absolutely. Um, I mean, as far as advice is concerned, I, it, it, you, the world is your easel, is your, is your tableau. Do whatever you want. Um, not everybody's going to love what you do, and that's okay. You you don't want everyone to love what you do because you're not challenging anything. Um, you got to have haters. If you if you've got haters, it means you're doing something right. So write that nasty little book that that your parents aren't going to like, or make that movie that people are going to be like, I don't know about that person. Are they are they right in the head? Go out and do it, and then worry about who's going to buy it, who's going to sell it after the fact. If you make a piece of art that people will connect with that stuff all comes afterwards people are going to clamor look look at a24 that's that production company yeah, yeah they make yeah. They, they make very unconventional films that They're so good that are outside of the norm most of the time like you know 30 years ago those movies would be the fringe films that are made for like five dollars but now they're getting the prestige treatment so your story people want to read about your story i mean look I, I just getting into books like there are so many reviewers out there that are voracious readers that love horror and they love the crazy messed up stuff and i didn't think that was like a thing and then people are like oh my god the the, the clone sex story and Comfy Cozy Nihilus was so funny. I loved it. I didn't think anyone was going to like that story. I wrote that because that was just in my mind at the time, just about this just weird stuff. Like I love multiplicity. And I just was like, what if multiplicity was like way hornier and it was just go there and just go for it. And everybody read that story feedback and they're like, Nathan, this is so weird. Like what, what is this? We were so, all thinking it. We didn't want to admit it, but we were all thinking it. I was like, don't take anything out of the story other than what's in it. This is just a silly story that I wanted to write. But I put that at the end because it was so out there. So like, and I was afraid to put that out because I'm still new to writing. And I know that there's way crazier stuff out there. I'm not, I'm not blind to that. But for me, that was a big step for me to put that in that book because I was like, what if 
people think I'm weird. And I'm like, but you want people to think you're weird because that's what a lot of people like with writers. So put that weird, crazy story in your anthology, make that short film that people, I mean, Ari Aster who directed uh hereditary and um, um, what's the other one, dude, he, he made one of the weird midsummer those... that short, that short film that he made the strange thing about the Johnsons. You beat me to it. That what, is the what most in the world? fucked up short I've ever seen, man. It still haunts me. I, I, saw, I saw that it in 2015 at a film festival, and I had oh. no idea what I was about to see. I think it was the Nashville Film Festival or something like that. I had no idea what I was about. This is like when it when it first came out, and I watched that movie. And the first time I watched it, I laughed through the whole thing because I didn't know the tone. I wasn't aware of the tone. And you go back and watch it again. That is a dark, dark film. And a lot of people do not like that movie if you go on YouTube. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> want to ever watch it again, man. I like the movie, but it's not something I would like rush to see again. But that kind of weird, dark, insidious tone, I do like. I appreciate that in filmmaking sometimes. So, so just for people that may be intrigued, I have a way of saying the plot, but I think you're going to be more eloquent with it. So would you mind... <laughs> would, you, would you mind describing that? Because when whenever... I say I laugh through it, people are going to be like, "That's not a funny." That's not funny. And you probably just didn't know how to react, man. It's I have a very and and this is this is not unique, but I have a very 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 dark sense of humor. So sometimes I will laugh at things that are. I mean, I laughed in the in and if you've ever seen a Serbian film, I laughed I in that movie. I don't want to watch that because it's, it's so it. absurd. There's a couple of scenes in that movie that are so out there that the only reaction I can have is to laugh because it's so ridiculous that it's just it's it's just something that if you if you're not tuned into that kind of sense of humor you're, you're just gonna go well that was gross why did you think that was funny but i think that that movie is a very 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 dark comedy but it's also a very sobering short film about generational abuse within families and how that's dealt with but i think if you're it, to get a couple laughs out of that movie because it's so dark and it's so messed up you kind of have to laugh at it if you're a certain type of person i think that's okay i think that's a way sometimes people cope with things that are so messed up isn't this okay correct me if i'm wrong but the son's abusing the father right mm -hmm. okay yes. making sure that i remember that correctly I mean, if you go back yeah. and watch that movie, the way it's done, there is an air of dark comedy to that. The way that the way that it's shot and the way that it's helmed, you're supposed to kind of a little bit go, what is going on here? But then as the movie goes goes on, it's not as funny anymore. And it's really messed up. And it's a, it's one of the few short films that I think about constantly, like all the time, like how messed up that thing is and how. I just I don't want to say like the like the chutzpah on him for making a short film like that and just going that's kind of kind of goes back to my clone story. I'm like, is anyone going to like this? Like, is anyone going to even care about this weird story about a, a clone orgy? Um, but I just I was like, you know what? And that's how I felt for a lot of the stories. Like, are people going to think I'm like weird or like too just this or that. And I just have to remember, like, I see all these conversations online. The narrator is not the author. Not necessarily. Don't confuse the two. It's not the same thing. And I'm going, okay, well, I, I guess most people are adults and they can figure that out. So I'm just going to put this book out and see what happens. So that was kind of my mindset as well. Um, but I don't even know where we got off on a tangent. I think it was advice for filmmakers and writers. <laughs> well, just, just do what you want and and worry about the details afterwards. Make your art. Don't just don't don't let other people tell you what to make. What's trendy, chasing trends. Even if you're a screenwriter, don't chase trends. 
just use your own voice. That's the most important thing is make sure that the stuff you make can't be mistaken for anyone else but you. Yeah, it's great. Um, I was just going to add, that's like one of the few movies that still gives me a physical reaction. Like my my stomach feels empty. Um, I thought it was done phenomenally. He does have a lot of balls for doing that type of movie. Um, but I just remember that my, we went to my one, fr- one friend's house that we all worked together. It's right down the road from where we worked. And after we finished watching this, we turned to this guy named Jeff and we said, what the fuck did we just watch, man? <laughs> There's a lot of people online saying about that movie. <laughs> You're not the only one. Yeah. Um, he's, I, you know, I'd shake his hand for saying good job. Few movies have ever done that to me. And there's other movies of yours that I'd rather watch again. <laughs> I think Hereditary is probably my favorite. That movie yeah. is just captures like this angsty kind of fear that I have sometimes. It's really well done. It's definitely a cool classic. Absolutely. Brennan, you got anything you want to touch on with, uh, with Nathan? Do you, I didn't even ask. Do you want to be called Nate or Nathan? Either one is fine with me. Nathan is. We're like an hour in, yeah. dude. <laughs> I know. Nathan's fine, but if you want to do Nate, that's fine too. Okay. Um, Brennan, you got any film questions? I do. No, I do not. I haven't even seen any of the. Well, I saw Midsummer and I didn't care for it. So I didn't see the other ones. Is so. it Midsummer? It's definitely spelled that way. <laughs> Hereditary is my favorite. Uh, I, will, I will go to bat for that one for sure. Is The Witch, is that a. A24? Yes, A24. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's a phenomenal movie. It is. I love that film. I like how, it, you know, we use the term slow burn when we're talking. Brennan and I usually don't use that for a um, derogatory term, but there are quite a few people that do. And I think that's reflective on today's society because everything's instant access. I'm curious if if you can kind of correspond um, with that, as far as like what the audience wants, what they expect, because, you know, nowadays when we were all grown up, it was like VHS and going to blockbuster, which I miss and circuit city, which is where I found personally in my area, the best like selection of horror DVDs specifically. Um, I'm wondering if you're, you're, you see any correlation between, what the audience wants as far as pacing or um, maybe even content in movies compared to from now compared to like when we were growing up. Wow. Do you want me to just give you the pessimistic answer? Because I don't know if you're going to want to hear it. Uh, uh, (laughs) I don't have any hope for God. This is going to be such a loaded answer. Um, I don't have a ton of hope for the future of cinema as it is now. And as, as we grow up with it, I think it's good. It's changing. I think movie theaters are dying. I think that physical media, it's making a bit of a comeback because streaming has had had such an over stranglehold on things that I think it's being dialed back a little bit and that physical media is going to make a bit of a comeback, but it's still dying. I think all the stuff that we grew up with is on its way out because the younger generation, and I'm not saying that as a der- in a derogatory way, they just don't have a space for it. They're just not interested in it. It doesn't, it doesn't occur to them. And there's always going to be cinephiles in the younger generation that are going to want physical media, but they're the minority. Most people are interested in, and, and again, this is neither good nor bad. This is the way progress is TikTok videos, YouTube videos, um, and short 
tiny little things in bites. That's what they want for the most part. So that doesn't really play. I mean, I, I was reading something where I think they're going to put, they're going to make movies vertical, the vertical screen, like a TikTok. They're going to be released theatrically. That's why the way movies are headed to. Now, I'm not surprised because, you know, the next generation coming up, they don't have the same love for the same stuff that we had the same love for. Just like, you know, we didn't have the same love for, you know, a drive-in theater or the automat or, you know, jukeboxes or eight track tape players. Like it, it, it's or what you grow buggies. up with is what you tend to fight for. Right. I so, got you. You know, they, they don't have a fight and the, they, they don't have a dog in that fight. So why would they fight to keep it alive? And I get it, but I just, I just think that right now we're in a weird place for film. It's evolving, you know, it's, you know, and, and books too. I mean, they've, people have been struggling with digital versus physical for a long time. A lot of people don't think we should be printing books anymore at all. You know, I mean, there's definitely a debate going there too. So I'm a physical media whore, you know, books, movies. I still have stuff on VHS. That's just the way I am. And I know that's not, you know, a lot of people are decluttering and downsizing, even people our age and, and older. They're just getting rid of all the stuff. So now one man's trash is another man's treasure. People are picking up on all this stuff and building up their libraries. But I think it's all temporary. I think we're in transition here. Where where we're headed to, I have no idea. It's it's uncharted territory as far as entertainment is concerned, books and movies and t television. And is streaming the answer? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think that it's the answer that everybody thought it was a couple of years ago, especially mm. during the pandemic, which was very convenient. But uh, things are changing all the time. And I, I can't give you an, a straight answer as to what's going to happen because I'm a little I'm a little scared of, of, of where it's headed to. I'm just going to be that old man in the corner with with my horde of books and Blu-rays going, don't touch my stuff, you know, because, <laughs> because that's that's how I feel. But I'm also open to whatever the younger generation wants to do too. I mean, who are we to say that they're wrong? So I'm wondering if it's ever going to be cyclical. Like if anything that we grew up on is ever going to make a comeback. Well, we're kind of in, in a nineties Renaissance right now. It's the eighties yeah. are out. That's tired. What the nineties are wired right now. That's what mm. people are. I'm seeing people wearing nineties fashion and, 90s hairdos like the jennifer aniston hairdo is back and oh god and you know mom jeans are in and stuff like that so that's where we're at right now the 90s I, my mind is going to be blown when we're in the 2000s retro thing that's just going to be too close to home for me yeah, so, yeah. as an adult so i'm yeah. still mentally there so <laughs> <laughs> brennan you want to do currently reading sure oh brennan. do i want to go first yeah do you I guess so. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> I am currently reading Rovers by Richard. I think it's Lang. Um, it is a vampire book. I'm pretty early on in it. And uh, it's doing a lot of jumping right now, but it has that feeling like, okay, eventually this like ADHD mindset is going to snap into something cohesive. And when it does, it's going to be special. Uh, at least I hope that's the direction it's going. That's that's what I anticipate. Um, and I am also reading No One Rides for Free by Judith Sonnet, which is an extreme horror book that earns that moniker pretty quickly there. Uh, Judith does not mess around. <laughs> I, I have heard that. I am looking forward to reading something from her soon. Same. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, how about you? 
Well, I've got, uh, I, I always got a couple things on the go, but right now I'm focusing on a couple grindhouse press books. I've got um, St. Sadist by Lucas Mangum. I'm reading that right now. Very good. Very lyrical. Was not expecting that. I liked uh, the, the very artful approach to the prose there. And I'm also reading this big hunky boy, Holy The Birth shit. of a Monster by A.S. Coomer. And it is about the rise of a serial killer with a God complex. And I'm still pretty early on, but it's it's a very brutal read if you like kind of extreme serial killer fiction. Hmm. Sounds pretty cool. So I like seeing that one because I, I always think of Grindhouse as these like slim little like 200 page novels or novellas. Mm-hmm. And then like all of a sudden they, they put out this like w- w- that thing's got to be 500 pages. It is. It's over 500 pages. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always cool I, I just like I like holding a good thick book. It just feels yeah. nice, you know. Mm. You just feel like you're into something when you're doing that. So, and I read stuff on Kindle all the time. It just depends on my mood, but I love good thick books. Yeah. Um, so I'm reading uh, Shutter Island by Dennis Lehane. Nice. And I will be starting this one. I'm pointing to American Cannibal, edited by uh, Rebecca Rowland and. Um, Brennan has told talked about it with me, and it sounds like it's going to be a pretty bloody treat. I read Optic Mirror from Rebecca. She's an excellent writer. So good. She's very prolific, man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So those are the two that I'm doing. Uh, Nathan, where can people follow you? So you can catch me on uh, Twitter and instagram and tiktok i'm on all those things as myself as a writer i'm at lugenhausen sounds weird but it's easily spelled it's l-o-o-g-e-n-h-a-u-s-e-n lugenhausen uh you can find me on there and you can find genre blast on social media too at genre blast that's genre blast one word why'd you pick that name uh because our festival is a mix of all genres so it's a blast of genres and it sounds cool too so Yeah. (laughs) yeah it's snappy um, Brendan, where can people follow you, sir? BrendanLafaro.com has links to all the stuff that you might need. You follow me at PR McDonough on Twitter. You can follow the show uh, on pretty much any social media. Just look up Dead Headspace. Um, Nathan, do you have any final thoughts? I just want to say thanks for letting me be on the show. I had a fun talking to both of you gentlemen. I think it's the first time we've ever uh, spoken on uh, video chat, right? Is that true, Patrick? Is the first yeah. time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's that's nice surprising, to, actually. Yeah, faces and voices together. I love it. I appreciate it. And yeah. I'm also going to be at AuthorCon uh, signing books for Love Potion nice. and uh, Comfy Cozy Nihilist. I'll be there all weekend. And uh, Worst Late Plans representing that, too, as well. So I'll be looking forward to seeing some people there. That's awesome. I wish I could go to that. I'm just uh, baby on the way and uh, say oh, congratulations. Thanks, yeah. man. Number two, huh? Yeah, second yeah. son. And uh, go. I'll be going to uh, Disney World in a couple months, so I don't have money to do really anything. No, no. <laughs> Not if you're going to Disney World. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> no, but Philip's very excited for that. That's so um, cool. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, Brennan, final thoughts? Uh, Nathan, thanks for coming to hang out with us. Like, Congratulations on all the success that Genre Blast has had, and uh, on the release of that collection, it was I, I loved it, man, and I hope people will pick that up. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Thanks for reading. Also, Patrick, I'm so proud of you for saying Dennis Lehane's name right. <laughs> <laughs> it only took 90 tries, but I got it. Yeah. 
Um, second to what Brennan said, I uh, really appreciate you coming on, man. And that book, um, is there any, do you like, is there any plans for when it might come out or is this just kind of a, uh, you're in the middle of writing it right now? The book that you said, this is the first time, uh, I'm not basing it off of the yes. screenplay. Yeah. I'm trying to get that finished by the end of April. So, nice. And I see that there's a couple presses that are looking for stuff. So we'll see what happens. Um, oh, but I'm very excited about it. It's going to be, I don't know, the short story collection was an extension of Love Potion because I, I had all this nasty stuff I kind of wanted to get out and, and have fun with. This is definitely a more, it's definitely weird, don't get me wrong, but it's definitely a more traditional horror story. You know, a little bit of cosmic horror, a little bit of showbiz satire. So we'll see how that does. I want to read that. Um, but yeah, we'd love to have you back, man. So uh, thank you for coming on and uh, listeners, watchers, viewers, whatever. Next episode is 194 American Cannibal featuring Candace Nola, Ronald Malfi, and Evie Knights. So that'll be real interesting. I have no clue where that conversation is going to go. But um, as always, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for checking us. Uh-huh.